and welcome to an emergency Peter Regan episode of the Cost for Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. With me today is podcast regular, Silver Seven Sentence writer, Callum Fraser. Callum, how's it going on trade deadline day? Yeah, it's going pretty good. Sorry, this is the th- I think this is the third time I've been on your podcast, and I'm sick for the third time, I do believe. So apologies if I'm extra nasally today, but I'm uh, looking forward to, uh, to talking with you. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it's been an interesting few days, uh, to say the least. There's lots to talk about, and I think uh, people are definitely interested to hear what you have to say. So obviously, uh, let's start off with the, the first trade that happened on Monday. Um, and I guess the most talked about move was the Alex Burroughs trade. So just what are your thoughts on this? Oh my God, you opened it up quite a bit. Um, well, <laughs> I mean, I guess the first thing that came out was that, you know, the centers were going after Burroughs. And, you know, right away I was like, all right, sure, maybe a third or fourth round pick is going to actually acquire him. Um, and then the second piece of information that came out was actually the uh, extension, which was quite odd. Uh, that took me aback. But I, I still, honestly, I still really gave the upper hand to Pierre Dorian. I, I thought, you know what, let's just see what happens, uh, see what, you know, they're going to give up, see what their plan for is him. I'll, I'm going to wait and see for this to all come out. Um, and then I saw that, I believe it was uh, Bruce Garriock of Post Media that reported it was going to be Jonathan Delain going yeah. over. And honestly, still then, I still gave him the benefit of the doubt because I'm just, I was thinking, all right, Jonathan Delain's going over, Alex Bros is coming over, what else is going to be coming over to Ottawa? But then when I saw that it was a one-for-one, one, I'm not going to lie to you, and I haven't had really had trades, you know, um, it, uh, not necessarily blow me away, but I haven't really been affected as much as the, as a trade like this like I'm not I'm not joking when I say this my and I told you this on the dead on uh, the day that it happened my jaw literally dropped and my my mouth just hang hung open for uh, an entire 60 seconds because yeah. I, I couldn't I, it and you know what a lot of information is coming out right now we're, we're you know realizing that they weren't really as high on Jonathan Delan as we are but the reason why I was so astonished was because we've paid a lot of attention to this kid. Um, when they first drafted him, he was having a pretty decent year as an underager. I think he's like 17 or 16 years old in the Al Svenskin, which is a professional league. That's not easy to do. Then he comes over to the World Juniors, has an outstanding tournament, goal-scoring machine, plays really well alongside a couple skilled players on Team Sweden. And then he starts picking up in Al Svenskin, he had points on the last 13 goals. And this is not, you know, just a 13-game point streak. This is the last 13 goals, Timra, IK. I don't honestly have no idea how you, if you pronounce it Ick or IK or Timra, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but either way, he had he was in on every single goal yeah, uh, in the nuts. last 13 goals. So I was just – this kid was trending upward for me. I thought that, you know, he was actually really close to Logan Brown uh, in my prospects depth chart. So – this honestly, this really caught me by surprise, and you know what? The um, the immediate reaction. I was watching uh, TSN 1050 uh, on, I believe it was TSN 4. That's what they have it on the the uh, the Toronto market, and it takes a lot for a guy like O Dog Jeff O'Neill to have the exact same reaction as me, mouth wide open, jaw dropped down to the floor, and saying, "What in the world did they just do about a Swedish prospect?" We we all know O Dog, we all know Jeff O'Neill, what he likes, he likes. Um, you know, gritty guys, guys that can score still, but guys like Alex Burroughs that are pests. And even he was astonished by this trade when it happened. So, I mean, ugh, I, I'll give it over to you right now. But I, I, and you know what? My honestly, my nerves have calmed down. Um, I'm when I watched Alex, Alex Burroughs in practice today, and when, you know, we talked to him in the media. I, I'm getting more of a sense that this is this could be a good deal for the team and moving forward. But the guy's 35. He's turning 36 in a month. He's got a two-year two-year extension on that worth five million dollars over those two years. And Jonathan Della, in my mind, I'll just wrap it up here, is going to be a 20-goal scorer at least in the NHL. Um, I know that that's a that is a bit much to say just for a guy that was chosen in the second round, a small Swedish guy um, that you know people still say has to work on his skating. But I truly believe that this guy has NHL potential, and he was in the top four or five uh, of the Senators' prospects. Yeah, I think what you said about Jeff O'Neill 
really says it all. I mean, there was only probably a few Senators fans that actually tried to defend this. Pretty much everybody else around the league was laughing at us. And I think the worst part, the worst part about the the trade for the Senators is the fact that Jim Benning is pretty much seen as one of the worst or maybe the worst uh, GMs in the league right now. Maybe not after the last two trades he made with the Senators and Sharks, but you know, he's sort of like a laughing stock around the league. And if you can get fleeced by him, I mean, that that's really not a good look. And the fact that I, I live in Vancouver too, so obviously I'm around Canucks fans all the time. And the last few seasons was, I've been sort of able to, you know, make fun of, make fun of the team and, and because they've just been abysmal and they made bad move after bad move. But after this, I mean, everyone was laughing at me and it was just, it's just such an awful feeling because I know that's, in the future that that's going to bite them. Like you said, you think Dolan's going to be a 20 goal scorer and I can totally see that. And, um, you know, in the last, the last few months, like ever since the world juniors, I'd really started to fall in love with Dolan. Um, you know, ever on my uh, Twitter timeline, I'll always, I'll always see, um, gifts of his goals and stuff. And, and like you said, he was in on 13 of the last uh, goals for Timra. So I think it, it's too early to say definitively that, he will be an NHLer, but at the same time, I think the odds are good there. And yes, Burroughs does help this lineup right now. He's probably, you know, he'll help the third line. Um, or maybe, I know in practice he was uh, with Mark Stone today. So, you know, maybe playing with Stone helps no, him. No, he was, uh, he was nope. with uh, Turris and Hoffman today. Okay, well, e- either way, if he's with Turris and Hoffman, then, you know, maybe maybe they can get him going a bit. Um so it, it does help for this season, but man, like I, I don't love the fact that they're already strapped to him for the next two seasons when he's going to be, you know, 37, 38, 39. That's not great. Um, and like, is it crazy to say that this is probably the worst trade I've seen like the centers make? I, I started following the centers around, you know, 2005, like pretty much right out of the uh the lockout wouldn't you say this is probably the worst trade they've ever made since then at least uh it's it's one of the ones where it could actually work out that it is a good trade right it could we have to wait and see but instant analysis looking at how i look at Dellen and what alex burroughs is yeah it's a bad trade i mean there's no two ways about it right now it's a bad trade but in the next two years for whatever we think that Alex Bros is going to bring to this team, and you know, if Dylan actually gets playing time, then maybe it'll you know swing Ottawa's way a bit. But you know, course, right now, yeah. and, and I do want to, you know what? And here's the thing, because Pierre Dorian probably has one of the you know best scouting backgrounds in the entire NHL for general managers in the league. So maybe we do have to give him more of the benefit of the doubt for looking at a guy like Dallin, who 100%, they have watched more than any Sens fan, any analytics guy, any critic, whatever. They have wait, wait so are you fans. telling me that all of my followers are not scouts? <laughs> yeah, so the people that, um, uh, that uh, look at the stats and the gifts, they actually don't watch the full games. <laughs> oh, damn, that's too bad. Yeah, exactly. So, but... I, that's the one thing where I actually I, I stepped back after you know a few hours of just being oh my god how how could they let this happen and then I, I realized you know people are coming out and I I, I, do, I don't like the words um, that were used saying uh, you know from Garriock and a lot of the TSN guys saying that he was a long shot to make it I don't think you look at Jonathan Delay and think and, and label him as a long shot I think that's uh, irresponsible and inappropriate to to label him as that at this point in his career while he is having so much success um, in a professional league at a uh, a very you know he is a small weight class and and he's a, he's a small guy and he has such skill and talent I think that is irresponsible to label him as a long shot to make it to the NHL we're not talking about 30 goal score 25 goal score 20 goal score we're just talking about making it to the professional uh, you know national hockey league here so I, I I didn't like that but what I will say is that stepping back taking 24 hours to look at the trade and hearing what Pierre Dorian has to say. Yes, I am, you know, calmed down a bit, and I, I do understand why they made the trade. I still disagree with it, but I am at a wait-and-see mode right now. 
Right. And I think you, we have to make that distinction that obviously if, if Dolan doesn't become anything in the NHL, if he becomes the forward version of David Runblad, then of course, then it's not a big deal at all because Ottawa will get Burroughs for the next couple of years and hopefully he'll uh, be able to help the team and Dolan is nothing. So it's, it's not a big deal. But I think it just bugs me the fact that there's no way that for other teams, Dolan is worth Burroughs in terms of value. So I think it it's it's fair to say that, you know, if Dorian really did sour on Dolan, which which is strange just because it, it seemed like everyone was really high on him and everyone was, um, you know, praising him and everything. So So even if he was low on him, there's no way that Alex Burroughs is the most he could have gotten out of him. So, you know, like if they had given up someone maybe like Philip All or something like that, I'm sure I'm sure that something like that could have gotten done because it it almost seems like Ottawa went to the Canucks asking for Burroughs and, you know, Benning just sort of laughingly said, "Oh, how about Jonathan Dolan?" and then Dorian just said, "Okay, yeah, sure, right away." Because I feel like, you know, you'd go for one of the higher-end prospects, you know you're not, not going to get Shabbat or White or probably Brown, so he probably asked for Dolan. And, you know, it, it doesn't seem like Dorian negotiated for one of those lower prospects in maybe like the 8 to 10 range, something like that, um, you know, Christian like Yaros. I, Trevor, I, like, I feel like that's totally far-fetched. I mean... Oh, I know, if, but... If, no, but if you look at the, it, what, you know, Dorian has explained to us, it took... He, he said it took like 100 calls to get Tommy Wingles. I'm pretty sure... Oh, that yeah. You know, make sure that he probably offered up a couple of smaller prospects. I think that they just really wanted Burroughs. This is kind of like a Logan Brown kind of thing, right? You don't want to give up the second rounder. What? I, it, no, it was a third rounder to move up one spot in the draft. Yeah. But when you have your guy, you want to get your guy. And do I do I agree with it? No, but I do understand. And I I, th- I think it's it's a bit far fetched to think that you know. And I get it, you are exaggerating, and I think you do understand, you know, the process of it, but I just want to make it clear that, like, there's there's no way this was a one-call thing. They no, I know. Yeah, I'm not I'm not actually saying that happened, yeah. but, like, it just – if if other teams are looking at this, I don't think they would value Dolan as equal to Burroughs. That's that's pretty much no, just what No, definitely not. And look what – look what uh, it took to get P.A. Parento, and look what it got to, to get Thomas Vanek, and look what it got to yep. – to get a bunch of other scorers around the league that are, you know, third line to second line players that the Senators think Burroughs is. I think one of the big, um, one of the big, big attributes that they enjoy about Burroughs and that the other players have nothing to offer is that, um, you know, and I, I hate saying the word, but sandpaper, they like that he's a pest. And um, I'm not going to lie, you do need that in the playoffs. And it, it, teams have succeeded like look at what brendan gallagher has done uh, for montreal and is he a more skilled player than burroughs yes is he a faster player than burroughs likely is he a more talented and you know has a better hockey iq yeah probably You're not helping your point <laughs> <laughs> I, there, there was a butt coming um yeah but th- you, you that aspect of pestiness and sandpaper and grit and whatever you do need that in the playoffs and especially if it yep. can come from a guy that like alex burroughs that can actually still score and that can actually keep up with pace of play he's the one and i i mean you know we can't chat all night all night about this but i know we and i know you want to get to victor stahlberg and lazar but and, and this actually you know it comes back to this whole thing if you're looking at lazar victor stahlberg alex burroughs this whole mentality around the trade deadline tommy wingles what they're doing and what they've succeeded in doing is pushing guys like chris kelly like chris neal and i guess like curtis lazar out of the lineup and then importing um skilled guys guys that are big strong that are fast that can be pests that are good tools guys um and i i think it's 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 it sucks that you have to give up a future like Jonathan Dellant, and it sucks that you had to give up, uh, I mean, even a third-round pick for Victor Stahlberg and then a couple other picks here and there or whatever. But what, I think Dorian has succeeded in exactly what they wanted to do. Well, you know, I, I will say one good thing about the Burroughs trade is that it's just going to be awesome being able to watch Burroughs in the playoffs. If, if we're playing someone like the Leafs, you know, you know he's going to be targeting someone like Austin Matthews, you know, trying to goad him into a fight or something like that. So, um, 
you know, obviously, obviously living in Vancouver, I'm, I'm well aware of, of Burroughs' antics uh, while he was on the Canucks. And he, he was effective in the playoffs. So it will be fun to watch that. Um, and also, like you mentioned, pushing those guys out of the lineup, that's huge. I mean, when was – you meant, you were mentioning this just like an hour ago. Um, when was the last time uh, you could look at the forwards in the center's lineup and there's almost not room for one or two guys? I mean, it's just kind of strange. Hey, bring you're bringing up private conversations right now. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> uh, oh, okay. Apparently, um, yeah. I mean, that that's. I look at this forward core, and this is probably the best forward core they've had since the uh, uh, playoff series against Montreal and Pittsburgh when they got Jason Spezza back. Uh, I believe halfway through that Pittsburgh series, when Colin Greening was playing out of his mind, when you still had a player like Daniel Offordson that could play power play, when you had guys like Kyle Turris down the lineup, Milan McCulloch, so. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the 2013 team, uh, their forward core was better than this year's team, but this is a solid, solid forward core that you can move guys up and down the lineup, and that's exactly what Boucher needs to do with the system that he plays. It's it's a perfect system to have three lines that are equal in talent or, you know, somewhat equal in talent and that he can roll and then have a fourth line that is, that he can, you know, that can go out there and guarantee that they won't get score on, that can drive a bit of possession. Tommy Wingles, uh, maybe Pajot's playing there, maybe it's Victor Stahlberg. Those are solid guys that play responsible defensively and that also have a bit of, you know, a, a tad bit of off- offensive touch. I mean, you know, as much as we like to say that Victor Stahlberg only has 12 points, that, you know, Pajot's down offensively, that Tommy Wingles has only scored one goal, well, Victor Stolberg actually has nine goals, and Pajot has that ability to score. And, you know, maybe there's a bit more to see with Tommy Wingle. So I, I love the way that this forward core is lining up. And it's going to be it, – it, it's, it's, a, it's a core that I really think that is made for the playoffs. And that, that's – you know, you look at maybe ter, uh, teams like Toronto and even to Montreal. Like, I, I think Boston is an outstanding playoff team. They have a lot of guys like Marshawn Bergeron, uh, Bacchus, guys that are still skilled guys but can bang bodies and be physical and have that drive in the playoffs that you need. I think Ottawa is actually above Montreal and Toronto in that aspect. Maybe they're not, they don't have the skill that Montreal and Toronto have, but they definitely have that aspect of playoff hockey mentality. So, you know, it's, it's not a done deal. They need to get there first, but this team's looking good if you, if you want to see them winning a, a series this year. Yeah, I mean, their forwards are definitely looking a lot better, and I think it's, it's very promising that the third line actually has some potential to score. You know, it's not just Jean-Gabriel Pajot on his own, um, you know, you can put a guy like Smith there, and once once Bobby Ryan's back, um, you can have. I mean, there's so many line combinations, but you could have a guy like Alex Burrows there, or I don't know. I guess you could you could maybe put Dzingle on his off wing or something like that. But either way, there should be at least one decent scoring option to go, uh, to go along with Pajot. And I mean, I don't know if we were gonna touch on this a bit later, but. We might as well bring it up now as well. Like, I mean, Colin White is, um, you know, he's an option there as well. If he he could be with the Senators in the next, as soon as the next two weeks, really. Yeah, I wonder. I th- I think, I think it's overall Dorian probably does want to do that, but he has dodged the question throughout the year a bit. Ever since he first said, I believe it was in November or something, or, or early months of the season. But did that, you did you see a tweet today though? He he said yeah, something no, I, about. Yeah, I saw that, but it's just the way the way it read to me was that he's not saying that Colin White will be with the team. He's saying that it's an option and that right. they still need to get a couple things. Like they still need to get lucky because what if you know what if uh, you know BCU goes on a tear and and you know makes it back and they can still make it back in, right? Yeah. Yeah, so they have to have that happen for them. They also have to sign White. They also have to, you know, look with their scouting and their their team and and, and Boucher and, and Dorian and, and say, do we want this guy uh, up here playing with us, or do we want to bring in a Phil Veroni who is a professional player uh, for many years now? Do we want to bring in a guy like, and I don't think it's going to happen. I'm just naming names, Nick Paul or 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 what have you, right? So I think there's a lot of things that. Uh, could happen that could change you know what we think that white could bring and, and and if he will be up here but I think it would be a smart move to bring him up here and if you look at like the one thing that I was looking at if you see that Bobby Ryan's healthy with this lineup immediately that's 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 what I look at this lineup and I think that they are a solid four line 
forward core. If you bring in Colin White into that situation and he actually can play center for 10 minutes a night and give you a bit of offensive touch for the bottom six, that is unbelievable because then you're bumping a guy like Tommy Wingles out of the lineup. And when you bump a guy like Tommy Wingles into the lineup that they acquired for forward depth, that tells you a yeah. lot about their or their four forward lines. You're not playing Chris Neal. You're not playing Chris Kelly. You're not playing Tommy Wingles. You're not playing Curtis Lazar. You have 12 guys that are sol- that are better NHLers, that are better, better forwards, that are better suited for the playoffs than those four forwards that have, let's be honest, been dragging possession down, that have been dragging scoring down, that have... Uh, I mean, look at what Boucher did in uh, a stretch there in January where he refused to play his fourth line as a whole. And some nights, I mean, Chris Neal just got played a minute 26, I believe that's the, the actual <laughs> number, uh, against, was it Florida? Yeah, I'm pretty sure Florida. He did have a fight in there, whatever. But Boucher is having a having a hard time uh, playing Kelly not uh, in the PK. He's having a hard time playing Chris Neal at 5v5, PK, power play, whatever you want to say. Uh, he's having a hard. T- he had a hard time playing Lazar. So these are, he's bringing in guys, and this is exactly what we saw with him. He told us today, um, and you know, foreshadowing a, a piece that I have coming out uh, tomorrow for Silver 7, which is the last line, is this quote, and I have it right here. I want to get it right. He said that... Um, uh, it, it, oh, where is it here? Uh... Come on, slacking. What happened? Okay, either way. Um, he said that, you know, he feels like a kid under the Christmas tree. He has so many options now, and this is exactly what it gives them, is options and better options than these fourth-line guys like Kelly, like Neil, that have just squeaked their way into the lineup. So I, I think he's super excited, and he should be, because he has a lot of uh, solid options now, and really, like I said, we haven't seen a forward core that is this stabilized and this even throughout the entire lineup since 2013. I think that that's really fair. Um, just just quickly, in what scenario do you see Chris Kelly coming out of the lineup? Does it take a healthy Bobby Ryan or does it take a healthy Bobby Ryan and Colin White coming into the lineup? Like, just because they don't really have... I mean, they have a lot of wingers, um, but, you know, if... If Colin White isn't coming in, they might need somebody um, like a Tommy Wingles or something like that to go center if Kelly's coming out of the lineup. So, what? How do you see that happening with him? So, if if Bobby Ryan's healthy, if I if I get this is what you're saying, if Bobby Ryan's healthy, <clears throat> and I'll just run through the lines right now, the depth really. You've got Mike Hoffman, Kyle Turris, Mark Stone. That's your first line of depth. I'm not saying this is the way the Boucher would, you know, put the, the lines. And then you've got Zach Smith, Derek Broussard, Bobby Ryan. That's your basically your top six. You've got Ryan Dezingle, Jean-Gabriel Peugeot, uh, Alex Burroughs as your top nine. Uh, and then Victor Stahlberg and Tom Pyatt, I think, are shoe-ins uh, to play just because I mean, you can't just you know give a third rounder for a guy that's going to play in the press box, right? And, they, and, and Boucher, again, raved today about Victor Stahlberg. So he's a lock, again, I think. Um, then you've got Tom Pyatt, who is Boucher's guy. He's been playing really well in the PK. His 5v5 is lacking. I think that has to do with you know playing with a... Uh, with, with Chris Kelly, but also, and I, I want to, I really want to stress this too. He's been playing with a tired uh, Kyle Turris. Kyle Turris's possession numbers and overall, you know, five v five stats are lacking this year because he's being asked so much. Remember that game? I think it was, uh, was it Florida or it was the game before that he played twenty six fifty, and yeah. he was the he had the most time on ice, not for forwards, but the entire team. Um, so uh, the. When Tom Pyatt plays with Kyle Turris and they, you know, they have a horrible night on possession, I don't see it as, you know, Tom Pyatt bringing him down as much as everyone else does. So I think Tom Pyatt is also a lock. Um, so then it comes down to Tommy Wingles and Chris Kelly. And if it was up to me, it would be Tommy Wingles centering that line of Pyatt and Stahlberg. But I think that out of the four guys, Lazar, Neil, uh, um, uh, Wingles, and Kelly... I think that Boucher has a bit more confidence in Kelly because he, I mean, he's playing him a lot more than Neil, a lot more than than Lazar. He hasn't been in the lineup the entire year, and he does have some games where he plays 13 minutes, 14 minutes. I I, I don't think that it's the right thing to do because I think Kelly lacks uh, greatly in speed. He lacks in playmaking ability. Um, I I think he has a, a, a decent amount of... Uh, you know, skill and hockey sense that he can get by 
and he's he's extremely smart. He plays the PK, but it's just he's a smaller body than Wingles. He doesn't have the speed. He can't hit like Wingles can. He can't bring that intensity that Wingles can. So I, I would definitely put Wingles in there and Kelly would be out. But I still think that because in the summer of 2016 they brought in Chris Kelly and couldn't stop raving about him and they think that he's played well, that maybe you're switching Wingles and Kelly back in and out of that lineup. So if Colin White did come, you think Kelly would go out though? Because then then at that point, like there's... Oh yeah, no, you have to. Yeah, there's no room then. If if they bring Colin... You, but here's the other thing too, because if you're bringing Colin White in, his season's over. So no matter what, you're not taking ice time away from him, right? So maybe if they bring him in, um, and I, I, don't, I don't think it would be the right thing to do, but if they bring him in, they still can just let him practice. They can, still can put him in the press box and let him, you know, marinate into this role of NHL or that he likely will have next season uh, with the Senators. So I think they can do that. I don't think they should. But I don't think it's a shoe in that if he comes up to the NHL to play with the Senators, that he is playing uh, night in and night out and even the playoffs too. I honestly that that'd be a bit disappointing, just because there there would be so much hype if they did sign him. So that that would be a, a bit of a letdown. Um, and just the fact that you were talking about Kelly and he really does seem like the weakling um, amongst amongst these forwards. And like honestly, I I think he's worse than Chris Neal at this point, which is is really too bad because Kelly was a pretty effective third liner in his um, in his prime, but he's just he's too old now. Uh, he's he's pretty slow, like you were mentioning. But you know, at the same time, if if he's the only hole they have right now, and he is, you know, primarily playing on the PK and not too many five on five minutes, it's really not that much of a worry compared to where we were a few months ago. Um, I also wanted to, to talk about, I didn't, I wasn't really planning on this, but what about Chris Neal? Like, has he played his last game as a center? Cause he's Senator. Sorry. He's uh, going to be out a few weeks and there really isn't that much room for him in the lineup right now. I think that, um, uh, I mean, you've got games against Boston and Montreal um, and teams like that, that, you know, coaches in the past in Ottawa have kind of looked at Chris Neal and said, okay, I want to throw you into the lineup. We'll take out a lower guy just so you can come in and, you know, throw a big hit for us, play four minutes, maybe get into a fight. I don't think that Boucher is, is like that, like Dave Cameron and, and like uh, Paul McLean and coaches before them were like. But if he becomes healthy again, I mean, I, I, there's no way he's a he's a um, a consistent player in the lineup. He's not even... Uh, he's not above Chris Kelly in the depth chart, and Chris Kelly is looking to be on the outs if they have a full lineup, right? So, so there's no way he's a, he's a, a consistent night in the night out. But I do I, I do see that um, they could have him play another couple games here and there. But with the acquisition of uh, Victor Stahlberg, excuse me, um, and Alex Burrows, this is exactly what Boucher is happy about. He's pushing, and, and I don't you know he would never come out and say this, and I don't think that you know he rightfully thinks that. Uh, he, you know, he right away thinks, "Oh, good, these guys are out of the lineup." But what it does for him is pushes the guys that he is reluctant to play out of the lineup, and overall the team just gets better. Like if you look at this team with Chris Neal, Chris Kelly, and for you know for um, let's just throw in Curtis Lazar in there. If that's your fourth line in the playoffs, you're not winning a game. You're not even you're not yeah. winning a series, but you're not even winning a game. You cannot fight with these teams that have the ability to run four lines with a fourth line like Chris Kelly, Chris Neal, and Curtis Lazar. Callum, Callum, can I can I give you um, a counterpoint to that though? Okay. Steve Ott, Andreas Martinson, and Dwight King. <laughs> yeah, but I get but, your point. I get your point. Let's be honest. Like Montreal's top six is better than Ottawa's top six. Yeah, of course. With with Galchenyuk, um, I mean Radulov's playing out of his mind. What an acquisition that is in the one year. Oh my yeah. god. I had really Travis Yost on on the uh, the pod on our Battle of Ontario podcast on I, like July second or or third or something like that the day after free agency and I opened the floor and I said what's the best um, acquisition on this deadline and he said right away it's not even close it's it's um, it, it's Alexander Radulov and my God has that ever paid off for Montreal they did have to pay, what is he have four million dollars or something like that but something it's just like one that. year 
and he's he's outperforming his contract. So I mean, yeah, Montreal has that fourth line of what did you say it was Ott. Uh, well, I mean, I don't King. know if it's the fourth line per, per yeah, se. Yeah, but it's you know, you know, like the, the, the bottom three. Yeah, the bottom yeah. three players that would be getting ice time. You're correct. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I mean, I mean, I I just think that the when you're looking at Ottawa's fourth line, the reason why I say they wouldn't be able to hang with teams is that you can't play guys like Kyle Turris. Um, like Mark Stone, like Bobby Ryan, like Derek Broussard, that have had to already overcompensate for a lacking bottom three, uh, bottom line on this team throughout the entire regular season. You need them to, you know, take a step back, play hard, but only play 16 minutes or 17 minutes a night in the playoffs. And if you have Chris Kelly, Chris Neal, Chris Cesar on that that bottom line, immediately Ottawa maybe wins one game, but they won't win a series and they won't win two games. It's just it. It would be such an uphill battle. So, and I, you know, coming back to this point, is it's just getting Stalberg, getting Burrows, getting Wingles, even. Uh, and I mean, God, if they can get White, this is just so huge for this team. Honestly, like, how long have we been talking about the centers getting better depth players? I mean, I was harping on that all summer. Um, you know, I was hoping they'd they'd sign a few guys. There were definitely some some cheap third and fourth liners available they didn't do it all they got was chris kelly um you know i honestly it'd probably been like three years i'd I'd been wanting them to improve it and they have it's probably not the 100 percent ideal guys i'd want to have in i don't think i would have targeted those guys um right away but at the same time it's it's undeniable that they are a better team right now especially like Colin White's just the huge wild card, but even if they don't get him, they are still improved. Um, so it's it's hard to complain for this yeah. season. I mean, the the if you're looking to move this team into a top five or six, you know, contender team, then the reason why we'd be looking at forward depth is if they brought in a and this is not going to happen because you know it's it's you know 9 p.m. on uh, Wednesday, March 1st. But if they had brought in uh, Duchesne, the reason why their forward depth gets better is because Zach Smith immediately becomes forward depth, right? So, so if you're bringing down Smith or Ryan um, or even a guy like you know Brassard as forward depth, that immediately increases your forward depth just because uh, it, you have such a better top six. But what they've done basically is the route that we thought they were going to take with this forward depth. Um, in getting a third, two third liners really in the uh, across the NHL that would be third liners on most teams, um, and that like that's how they've gone and increased and improved uh, their bottom six. It would have been better if they had got a guy for the top six that increases their forward depth just because you're pushing guys down the lineup. Yeah. But what they've done is completely fine. Um, and you know Mel- Melnick's opened up his wallet a bit, it, not as much as people think because you know it's uh, the date is March first. You don't have to play the players for the rest of the for the entire season. But you know, give credit to him. He's he's opened his wallet a bit. And as much as I don't think that uh, fans should have to give credit to an owner for opening his wallet while the team could be winning because that's exactly what you should be doing um, and should be enabling your franchise and your GM and your coaches to have these players. But because of our situation, you kind of have to look at Eugene Mellick and say, okay, good, let's uh, let's roll with this. Yeah, I mean, he, he added some money, so it's... I mean, that's, that's what he said the team would probably do. So you're right, we can't totally complain. Um, so, so one of the players that is a victim to um, Ottawa getting depth is obviously Curtis Lazar. And he was traded pretty much, I think it was like five minutes to go before the deadline. Um, he was traded to Calgary along with Mike Koska for a second round pick. And one of the best names in the NHL, Yerky Yokipaka. Uh, so what do you think about this trade? Do you think that's fair value for Lazar or, or what? No, I, I don't think it's fair value for Lazar in, uh, in Calgary's favor. Um, and that's why I, I do like this trade is because and I mean I, I think Koska and Yerky Paka they um, although Yerky Paka is likely a better defenseman than Koska by a sliver. Um, Wait, are you I think, are you combining his his first and his last name? Isn't it Yokipaka? I said Yoki Paka. Oh, it sounded it? like you're saying Yerky Paka. Nope. Okay, you can look this back, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> I said Yoki Paka. <laughs> anyway, um, keep going. Yeah, but I mean I, they canceled each other out in this trade basically. So what you're looking at is Curtis Cesar. Uh, for a second rounder and a lot of people across Twitter a lot of people across you know TSN analysts and radio and whatnot uh, they said okay look at the second round pick take it and run and they were looking at Dorian and saying 
don't wait this out. Don't try and get a first round pick. Um, you know, just just accept the deal and 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 go with it because as much as we've wanted Curtis Lazar to succeed in this market, he has taken steps back, and that's not good to see from a. I believe is he's 22, 21 years old still. Turning twenty two. Um, turning twenty two. So yes, twenty one years old. It's not good to see from a um, from a young kid that should still be developing. And I mean. Yes, he was only playing seven or eight minutes a night when he actually got into the lineup, but that's still seven or eight minutes a night where you play 33 games and you get a second assist. And this is not not even a primary <laughs> assist. You get a secondary assist. Uh, he had a few chances that he could have buried, but, I mean, the guy... The, my problem with Curtis Cesar from the minute that he got in here was that he fit in so well with a line uh, of... John Gary Pajot and Eric Condre, and I, 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 I get it. Like that was a great line. It was a possession driving team, a uh, possession possession driving line, excuse me. But from what they wanted from Curtis Azar, what we saw him dumping the puck in, him being good on the body, him, uh, you know, uh, hitting guys and and getting pucks in deep and and driving possession a bit, and you know, uh, his his speed is still really good. He's got NHL speed. We'll give that to him. But he was a north south player. And he could, I, I mean, honestly, when's the last time you saw him deke a guy? When's the last time you yep. saw him have that confidence to drive the net and to make a move or to, you know, try and backhand at top shelf or, or, or you know, you know, wait things out and try and get a better option? Like, he is not this electrifying player that we thought he was in, in the WHL. Um, the, I think they, it should have been a red flag for the way he was scoring goals in the WHL and the player that he looked to be because he was in front of the net all the time. And yes, that is so um, important in the NHL. But for a guy that you draft in the first round, in the mid-first round, and you're saying that he could be a top-line player, that he is, uh, to quote Sen's Twitter, Sen's Jesus, and <laughs> that he could be even a top-six player, you can't have a guy that plays like Chris Neal, like a, like a more skilled quicker Chris Neal and maybe that's development I don't buy into that as much as a lot of other people do I think that players more are what they are when they're drafted that's the correct Um, opinion oh oh okay good thank you (laughs) you have my approval I I I I I still think development is a huge part but when I look at Curtis Azar and I I heard all these people talking about how he was going to save the Sens they were in this you know this lull where uh, you know, Zibanejad wasn't really making as many strides as they'd like him to have. Uh, Pumple wasn't doing anything. They had all these, you know, uh, these f- uh, first-round picks that weren't really doing anything. You know, finally, Curtis Cesar was going to come in here and right away could be a scoring presence. Well, he scores six goals in his first year. He scores six goals in his second year, and he scores zero goals in his final year with the team. So I, I saw no improvement, but I also saw that there wasn't a lot there wasn't the potential that everyone thought there was so overall let's go back to the trade right now i i i'm i I think that you know whereas dorian went into his locker room and talked to the players after he got stallberg and burrows and they hugged him and high-fived him and and smooched him and all the things that that he was saying (laughs) that they did i think that with this trade the bloggers and analysts should be going up to dorian and high-fiving him and giving him a hug because this is a progressive trade. It is a um, a very I don't want to use the word futuristic. That just sounds weird. It is a um, a modern day look on a player like Curtis Cesar. So only only good things to say. Only thumbs up uh, for this trade. And you know what? I, I'm not a, I'm not the devil. I'm not a mean guy. I don't think I do wish Curtis Cesar um, you know has a change of scenery and gets to play minutes in Calgary and turns into a guy that can be a good third liner maybe even crack a top six somewhere I don't think that's going to happen but I do wish him the best because he was a, a, a great guy when he came to Ottawa did everything the team asked for him to do on that fourth line and third line was a great soldier but it was definitely time to move on yeah I definitely agree it, it was more value than he's probably worth that that second round pick and you know the second round pick might not amount to anything but that doesn't matter it's just the fact that we have a lottery ticket now um i think if lazar was say a third round pick or something i don't think anybody would be talking about this yeah that's that's one of the problems i have with this this nhl and the and the, the yeah the idea that pierre dorian and some of these you know gms in ottawa and and coaches have had is that and this is i think i think it's our our, our friend taylor actually says this but once you draft a player, 
then the number that you draft them at means nothing at exactly. all. Exactly. Nothing at all. It means nothing at all. Zip. Because their number at the draft doesn't show how they play now in the professional leagues. Their number at the draft doesn't show their development. Their number that they've been drafted at doesn't show their skill or talent once they've been drafted. It's all about what they can give you right now and the player that they have become. I, I just I, I hate it when they when they you know when they kept making uh, you know excuses for Jared Cowan. They kept making excuses for Matt Pumplevic. And they you know what they, they make they kept making a lot of excuses for for Curtis Azar and. And I know a lot of people have been critical of him, even in the main, mainstream media. Bruce Garriock has come on our show and said, you know what, what like what has he done to deserve any more playing time? So I, I don't understand why he's complaining or, or why he's saying, you know, uh, I, I can't be scoring because look at the position I'm in, right? It, it's yep. all about what you can do, the player that you've become, and it has nothing to do with if you're a first-rounder or seventh-rounder. Look at Mark Stone, look at Ryan Dezingle, right, compared to the guys that they've had. Look at Daniel Alfredson. It's all about what you can do for this team moving up in the AHL if you're playing in junior after they draft you and in the NHL so it, it should definitely I think for both players if you're looking at a seventh rounder or a first rounder the slight is completely wiped clean once you put that jersey on that has the either you know 2014 15 16 17 18 number on the back of it once you've been drafted it's a clean slate uh, for everyone exactly and and I think it should have been a red flag to a lot of people um, early on and the last few years that Lazar's strengths, I mean, you really can't say he has that many on-ice strengths. You mentioned his speed earlier, and sure, that is one aspect of his game, but he has such little offensive creativity. Um, you know, he doesn't make dangles. He, is, he isn't getting really nice, you know, top corner goals or anything. Most of his strengths are makeup things the things about you know he's a really good character guy you know yeah he, uh, he's gonna be a leader all this stuff and that's that's typically you know sort of what you say for a guy who's a fourth line grinder and you know he ended up being a guy who produced pretty much the same amount as chris neal which is really sad um but yeah i mean like if you're looking at that then what to your point, when have you ever seen? Yes, he has great NHL speed. He actually has maybe even above average NHL speed. But when have you ever seen him use it? No. To beat yeah. a guy? When have you ever seen him use it to join up in the rush and create chances? Like, not very often. I mean, like, Dezingle uses his speed. My God, yeah. I mean, he could, he could use a bit of finish, but yeah, there's yeah. not a guy in, on the team that uses his speed better than Ryan Dezingle. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think. It is funny to look at the the opposite perspective. If you're a Calgary fan, like if we were acquiring Curtis Lazar from Calgary, honestly, I think we'd we'd be going crazy. Okay. We'd be going like, why are we giving up a second round pick for a guy who has one assist? So I think that just shows that. I mean, I Ottawa definitely won this deal. I, I really can't see Lazar being more than maybe a third liner, but even that I think is pushing it a bit. So yeah, it. It's pretty good trade. This one's pretty clear cut. We'll end yeah. <laughs> and so after the dust is settled and deadline's over, do you think the Senators have done enough to make them a competitive team in the playoffs? Oh yeah, totally. I mean, it's uh, I I'm not gonna put a stamp and say that you know put a stamp on them and say that the team is actually even playoff bound for sure because you know I mean Tampa Bay is only three points out. Florida is picking up steam. Uh, Boston just can't stop winning. The Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, for as much as we do like to harp on them, and I, I, I feel like you're going to edit this out and bleep it out, but they actually are a pretty good team and could give Ottawa a run for the money if Frederick Anderson can play well. Um, Montreal's, I, I don't think the Senators can catch Montreal. Now that Carey Price has got his mojo back and, and they've made a couple of you know acquisitions and maybe they've got their their overall moto back, right? So I, there's a lot of teams. And, I mean, let's even look at the New York Islanders, right? Like, what has gotten into them lately? Yeah. So I'm not going to say that this team is actually even a playoff team for sure. I think they are. I, I definitely think they are. Um, but they still need to make it. Now, looking at the playoffs, I mean, what we've been talking about this whole entire time, the, the forward core is one of the things that you have to look at and say that they have the edge 
against the Leafs. They have the edge against Montreal. Maybe they even have it against Boston. I don't think that's. I mean, with Marshall and Bergeron and Backus and guys like that, it's kind of hard to say that. Ottawa I think was, Ottawa's depth is probably better at this point. Yeah, but not the higher top end guys. Six and Boston like has guys that are just workhorses. They can run those guys like Julian was doing. Yeah, exactly. Twenty minutes a game and in overtime in the playoffs. Um, so if they're up against Boston, do I think that they've got the upper hand in forwards maybe not but you know eric carlson is eric carlson and craig anderson is having an outstanding year so i mean okay if i'm gonna put a stamp on it i'm saying they're winning one uh one series this year they're actually gonna make it to the second round of the playoffs and they're gonna lose to um let's go with uh, the new york rangers Uh, honestly, I could see that happening, and it's not even that crazy to think that they could go yeah. to the conference finals, but, which is nuts. But they, if, if sorry, I'm just make one more prediction. Yeah. Um, the uh, when they play the Rangers, they will lose in seven games, and Kyle Turris will have all three overtime goals for the Ottawa Senators. <laughs> it's gonna be the same same series as uh, 2012 when they didn't lead until like game like their third win or something. Yeah, and then they had uh, they had a three-two lead, right? They had yeah. two games that they could have closed out. Yeah, should have won that one. But you know, it it is yeah. interesting that none of the teams in the Atlantic. I'm I'm not really super scared of any of them. I think Montreal is probably. Oh, not in the Atlantic, no. Yeah, like I think. I mean, look. It's at the not like any of them would be a cakewalk having. or anything, but Ottawa could beat any of those teams, especially if Anderson's on his game. Um, like I saw, I tweeted a graph out yesterday and anderson is the second highest save percentage amongst um active goalies in the playoffs and like you know that's a huge x factor yeah definitely i think um and and you know what if you look at the montreal series uh two years ago where he came in for uh the hamburglar i mean he was lights out and yeah. i mean he made one mistake in that series i really think that was the overtime goal that dale Weiss scored um that you know ottawa really could have turned that series around um, and I mean, we could talk about that series for a long time. I mean, uh, I'm gonna be honest. I was yeah. actually watching that um, uh, Jean Gabriel Pajot no uh, quick whistle <laughs> actually last night, which was just weird. I was just surfing on YouTube, um, and you know, got the feels right away and whatever. But I mean, he played outstandingly, uh, outstanding in, in that that series. He was uh, awesome. He was just awesome in the 2013 uh, series when he outbattled you know Carey Price, and and he has had. Uh, you know, he, against the Rangers, he played well. He, with Colorado, like he's he's just a playoff goaltender. I talked about we talked about this on the Battle of Ontario um, that you know if it's Frederick Anderson going up against Craig Anderson, Craig Anderson definitely has the upper hand. If it's uh, Tuukka Rask going up against Craig Anderson, I think you give that to Craig Anderson. Now Montreal may be a different story as much as we, as much as we like to harp on Carey Price, he likely still is the best goaltender in the entire National Hockey League. Um, but I, I think Craig Anderson is a huge plus for this team. He's a huge positive. Um, and if they can ride him like they have been doing this you know, regular season with, a, with an increased forward core and you know, maybe Boro and, and CeCe and Phaneuf come around a bit in the playoffs and up their game, then, man, this team can be scary. I mean, in, in the 2013 playoffs, when they handled Montreal – and everyone started saying, you know, that they're they're a dark horse, and that you know, like look out for Ottawa. I think this is the same mentality because they have kind of, you know, that that same, uh, you know, we'll we'll beat you up and we'll we'll beat you on the scoreboard. Hopefully, with our forward core that they had that, you know, that that line brawl. They have that same physicality, that same playoff mentality that they had back then. Maybe they're less skilled, but I still think this team is a uh, is a really, really, really good. Uh, if you look up and down the roster, a well-suited playoff team. You know what? If anything, it's just a, an exciting time to be a Senators fan because, yeah, totally nerve-wracking it, too, though. Because I mean, like I said, it's it's not it's not a given in this life. No, no, but but at the same time, like it's in previous times in previous years where they made the playoffs, it, it never seemed realistic that they could actually win more than maybe one playoff round. And yeah. I don't think they're going to win the cup or anything, but. It does seem like no. I mean, if you run into to anyone, and I mean like anyone, like even Columbus in the Metro yeah, Center, exactly. <laughs> no, you're not. Winning. Yeah, like the third round seems like a an automatic loss anyway. But the Stanley Cup that, might be won in the second round of the Eastern Conference. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but yeah, just, just having said that, like it is nice that for once Auto actually added at the deadline because I'm pretty yeah, totally. sure the last. The last like true deadline acquisition was Corey Conacher in the Ben Bishop deal four years ago. 
So I don't know. It's just a different tune. It's way different than last year. So I don't know. It's just a refreshing change. Yeah, totally. All right. Well, uh, that was a good talk. I think we can probably wrap it up. Uh, but before I let you go, remind the listeners where you can be found online and uh, what's in store for you moving forward. Oh, fantastic. I love uh, plugs where I don't have to actually say, hey, can I do this? Um, Twitter <laughs> Twitter is Callum Fraser 18 uh, Callum Fraser 18 on Twitter. Uh, we've got a Battle of Ontario podcast that's on iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever. Um, you know, it seems to be picking up a bit of speed and we're, we're loving doing it uh, with Alec Brownscomb, the, uh, the CEO, whatever, of Maple Leaf Hot Stove. Uh, and then you know what? I, the last thing I want to plug is my uh, my piece that will be. I guess uh, if you've listened to this podcast, it's a bit of an hour maybe. So wait another hour if you started listening at uh, whenever Trevor's going to post this. I believe at seven a.m. Wait another hour, and my new piece on Silver Seven uh, is going to be up. It's a it's a long read. Did a couple of one on one interviews with Zach Smith, Tommy Wingles. Uh, was in on the audio yesterday on Stahlberg and and Burroughs. It's a long read. Uh, on the uh, the trade deadline, so I'm looking forward for that to, to come out. Nice. Well, uh, looking forward to that. I think I just you just give me like a plug for two minutes there. Like that was very generous. <laughs> Why not? I don't know. I mean, like you write on the same website as me, so it's not really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm giving myself. Show. You're the star of the show, man. <laughs> What's that? You're the star of the show. Yeah. Sure. That's uh, all good. <laughs> anyway, well, uh, thanks again for coming on, Calm. That was fun. Yeah, no, thanks a lot, man. I, I seriously think that uh, this was our, you know, our best chat yet, and uh, yeah, like, uh, really I, fun. I could have talked for like two hours, but I know you got to go. So <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly six p.m. where I live, Trevor. Yeah, it's only seven fifteen right now. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta get to, yeah, I gotta get up to bed. <laughs> got practice in the morning, and oh yeah, it's gonna be a long day tomorrow. All right, well, uh, thanks for coming on. Yeah, have a good one. All right. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cosmo Pointcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And if you want to give a review of the podcast on any of those platforms, that would be greatly appreciated. You can follow me on Twitter at ShackTS and read all the great articles that my colleagues and I post at Silver7Sends. Happy trade deadline, everyone. Adios. Adios.